0: It's good to be with you. Uh, I'm going to get all these cables out of the way. If, uh, if you didn't grab a communion cup on the way in, we're going to take communion at the end of service today. So if you need one of these, just raise your hand and we'll have some ushers come and they'll bring, they'll bring some communi- communion stuff to you guys as we get started. But uh, we are going to be concluding our series, uh, The Storyteller. We're making room for our Christmas series that's going to be happening next week. And so I'm very excited uh, for today's message. We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We've been talking, if you're joining us for the first time, we've been talking about why Jesus used stories uh, when, he, when he spoke. And he used stories to convey what the kingdom or the culture of heaven was like or what it felt like. And often it was counterculture to what the world was experiencing and what the world was doing. And so Jesus used stories to convey what heaven was like, but he also used stories to reveal truth to those with eyes to see and ears to hear, with open hearts and open minds who were willing to, to receive the message of the kingdom of heaven. And so he he's, uh, he, he tells a very... Uh, This is probably one of the most sobering stories, I think, that he tells. And we're going to be talking about the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18. This parable is all about forgiveness. And, you know, we live in kind of a, a culture, a society, and how many of you heard it said before that forgiving is forgetting? Have you ever heard that said before? Some people have actually Quoted that to me as if it was in the Bible Well, pastor, if you forgave me Then you would forget about it And we get this this mixed up idea That forgiveness is forgetting That when you forgive, you're supposed to forget But the Bible never actually says That forgiving means forgetting Where does this idea come from? This, this idea actually comes from Hebrews Chapter 8, verse 12 Where it says, I will forgive This is God speaking, it says, I will forgive their wrongdoings And I will never again Remember their sins And this idea is that God gets spiritual amnesia when it comes to our sin. That he just, he forgets about what we've done. And, and, and we're supposed to model this as others as well. That's the idea. But, but is this true? Does, does, are we supposed to forget when people hurt us, when people wound us, are we supposed to completely forget about that pain and forget about that wrongdoing? Well, the Bible uses the word "remember." So, in Hebrews chapter eight, verse twelve, it says that He will remember our sins no more. But the Bible uses the word "remember" in a relational sense. So, for instance, in Genesis chapter eight, verse one, it talks about Noah and the flood, and and the flood is going. It's been raining for forty days and for forty nights, and then it says in Genesis eight one, God remembered Noah and made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. Now, does that does that mean that an angel had to come to God and say, hey, wait, wait, you forgot about Noah. Turn off the hose. Stop the water. No, no, no. It means that God remembered Noah in the sense that Noah was on his mind. That That God had Noah on his mind all along. So when the Bible says... That he will never again remember their sins. It means that our sins aren't on God's mind. That it doesn't stop him from having a relationship with you and I. That, that he, he doesn't think about our sins any longer. He doesn't dwell on them. He moves beyond them. The reason that this story is so important is this. And if you're taking notes, please write this down. Is that relational success is dependent on a person's ability to give and receive forgiveness. Relational success, if you want your relationships in life, your marriage, the relationship that you have with your children, with your friends, with your family, if you want your relationships to be successful, it is all dependent on how well you give and receive forgiveness. The difference between a mediocre relationship with friends and family and a relationship that is sincere and genuine are three words. Can you guess what those three words are? Please forgive me. Forgive me. How many times have you been offended or hurt by someone and instead of seeking reconciliation, you decided to distance yourself from them? Right? We push people away when we're wounded. When people hurt us, we push people away. Even though the Bible says that we're supposed to come together in unity, that we're supposed to be peacemakers, that we're supposed to work out our differences. Hey, we live in a culture. We live in a world that's just every look to your left and your right. The persons, the people sitting around you are very different from you. They have. Some people have different political ideas than you. They say things that hurt your feelings. They see. They say things that make you feel small. And if we want to continue relationship with people in our life, just like the Bible asks us to do, we have to get really good at giving and receiving forgiveness with one another. I think we try to surround ourselves with people who we don't think will hurt us or let us down, right? But the reality is, is that everybody's human, and they're going to let you down. I've my wife and I—we've brought a lot of young married couples through through premarital. We've taken them through premarital, and oftentimes they set—they come into they come into the setting. Uh, we have this assessment that we give them, and it actually lets us see. This assessment will tell us kind of the rose-colored lenses that they see each other through. So, they in the assessment, it asks questions like. Um, you're supposed to answer, you know, if, if you agree strongly or agree or strongly disagree, but they'll ask questions like, uh, this person uh, will never hurt me uh, in marriage. Like, we will have, like, great success, and, oh, yes, I strongly agree, and this person, there's nothing about this person that can ever let me down. There's no habits, there's no words that they could say that would make them, make me love them any less, and oftentimes they're like, oh, yes, absolutely, 100% agree. But as we continue in premarital we, they start to figure out, even as they get married, they start to figure out, oh wait, that, anybody married here know this truth, right? <laughs> that when you're married, your spouse says some things to you that don't feel very good. And we're supposed to love them through our differences. We're supposed to make peace with one another, right? And learning how to give and receive forgiveness is essential for having successful relationships. If you don't ever get good at forgiving others, you will find yourself isolated, with very shallow relationships. Never talking about anything deep, never going any farther than the surface, because the moment that you scratch the surface, all these ugly things come up. Did anybody have any things come up during Thanksgiving? That was like, wow, there's a reason this person lives on the other side of the state. Huh? Come on, you don't 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 raise your hand. Don't I don't want to see your hands. But you know what I'm talking about. It's like there's a reason. Turn with me to Matthew eighteen, twenty one. Matthew eighteen twenty one. are you there I'm reading from the NIV today it says this then Peter came to Jesus and asked Lord how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times Jesus answered I tell you not seven times but 77 times now where did Peter and Jesus get these numbers rabbinic tradition uh jewish law and jewish tradition not law but tradition taught that you were supposed to forgive your brother up to three times that's what rabbinic tradition had taught that it was it was good to forgive your brother up to three times so peter is actually thinking he's being pretty big by coming to jesus and saying up to seven times up to double the amount that all the rabbis say i should forgive up to seven times And Jesus replies to Peter, no, not not seven times, but 77 times. This number is actually referring to Genesis chapter 4, verse 24, where Lamech, he is the great, great, great grandson of Cain, and he's boasting about how he kills young men for wounding him. These young men wound him, and he's boasting about how he kills them for wounding him, and he says, He says this in Genesis 4.24. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. This number is a hyperbole, and it it means an unlimited amount. Who, Who... you know, Lamech, Jesus is, is making a stark contrast between Lamech who would kill others for hurting him by telling Peter that when you're wounded by others, you're not supposed to kill them, but you're supposed to forgive them an unlimited amount of times. So he's, he's making this stark contrast that this is the way. And again, it's just like Jesus to bring in the, ke- the kingdom of heaven this way, right? This is how the world does it, that when you're wounded, you, you fight back. You hurt. You want to you get vengeance, right? This is how the world does it, but this is what the kingdom of God is like. You're supposed to forgive an unlimited amount of times. Does that sound doable? We can do that, right, church? Easy. Come on, this is hard. Let's keep reading, verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king, who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Some of your translations say... 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, if you remember us talking a few weeks ago that a talent, one talent was the equivalent of 20 years worth of wages. 20 years, that's one talent. It was the the largest form of Greco-Roman currency. One talent is 20 years worth of wages. And this man owed his master 10,000 talents. Let me do the math for you because I already did. Remember how I said that uh, in 2020, the average U.S. annual income was $56,000. Now multiply that by 20 and you have one talent. That would have been, what is that? I, I did the math. Here we go. I lost it. He multi, where did I put it? I don't want to do the math in my head because I know I'm going to embarrass myself. This man owed ten thousand talents, which which would have been the equivalent of two hundred thousand years. That's approximately two thousand lifetimes to pay this debt. So here, oh, I found it. Here we go. Multiply fifty-six thousand dollars. By two hundred thousand years, and your total debt in today's currency would be about eleven billion dollars, eleven billion two hundred million dollars. It was this this immense debt. This man owed his master ten thousand bags of gold, ten thousand talents, and Jesus is trying to give his listeners an idea of the immensity of this debt. He's trying to make them feel it. Right? Can you feel $11 billion, $200 million, church? Come on, that's a lot. That's a big debt. What happens next? Verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. What? That sounds, that's pretty shocking he would say that. He's desperate. Verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. in today's currency. I cancel your debt. You're free to go. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. That's about four months of wages. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Welcome to church. Happy Sunday, everybody. (laughs) This is a heavy scripture. Jesus says, this is how my Father will treat you if you don't forgive each other from your heart. If there's any verse in the Bible that should get your attention, it's got to be in the top ten, right? And biblical scholars have debated the interpretation of this verse for years. And the question is, that we're all asking when we read this is, Is my forgiveness from God conditional upon whether or not I forgive others? It's a good question, right? But allow me to step in this conversation to a moment because I don't want to get confused. Because Scripture over and over and over says that salvation is a gift. It's a gift of grace. It's free, right? That you didn't do anything to earn God's grace, right? You didn't perform. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you and made a way for you to come into a relationship with his Father in heaven. And Scripture over and over again affirms that grace is a gift. Salvation is a gift. But there's a difference between entering the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God entering you. And Jesus, as he is talking about the kingdom of God, he wants people on earth to experience the kingdom of God now and not have to wait. We don't have to wait until we die. We've talked about a couple of weeks, maybe maybe about a month ago, we talked about how there's we live in this kingdom tension, that the kingdom of God is here, but it's not fully come. That we can experience the realities of the kingdom of God now because we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been given access to God's presence through Jesus on the cross. We have access to the kingdom of God now, but it's not fully been realized. It's not fully come. We still experience death and pain, and war, and sorrow, and so when Jesus comes, all of that will be taken away, but God, Jesus came to show people how to live in the kingdom now, that this is how the kingdom of God works, and he wants to get the kingdom of God into people, if you've said yes to Jesus, and you've decided to follow him, I believe that you are going to enter in the kingdom of God, when you die, because the gospel makes it clear over and over again. In John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Who believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of of God's one and only son. The Bible makes it clear that we're supposed to believe in the name of Jesus. We're supposed to believe in the grace of God. However, we cannot use this as an excuse to say, well, then I'm just going to keep that unforgiveness in my heart. If I'm, if I'm saved, here's, here's, here's the reality. And this is, again, church, this is the tension that we live in, right? That grace is a gift, but Jesus also says that unless you obey my commands, you don't love me. That, that if if you call yourself a follower of Jesus you're going to obey and do what he says if you don't do what he says and if you don't obey scripture and do what Jesus commanded you to do then are you really of God, are you really in Jesus are you really in the family of Jesus have you really been born again has, has your spirit really been regenerated if you can't do what Jesus has asked you to do and it's this tension we live in Yes, it, we get wounded, we get hurt by people, and it's hard to forget them. It's hard to get past betrayal. It's hard to get past abuse. It's hard to move on from the wounds of our past. But Jesus is inviting us, and he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. He's inviting us into a relationship with God that is dependent upon his power to move past the wounds of our past. And to obey scripture to obey what Jesus is saying, and to forgive those who have hurt us. I know it's challenging. I know that it's easy to talk about from the stage and harder to make that phone call or harder to make that text, to have that face-to-face conversation and say, I forgive you for what you did to me. But your eternal standing with God is solely based upon the saving power of Jesus in your life. I would add to that, but if you have been saved, then you're going to do what Jesus commands, which is to forgive other people. Here's the greater reality. Jesus died to get you into heaven, but he rose from the grave so heaven could get into you. He not only freed you from the punishment of sin, he freed you from the effects of sin. Shame, guilt, sickness, disease, oppression from the devil, even death itself has no more grasp on you. Come on, somebody say, That's right. The kingdom of heaven can be identified by certain patterns. And one of those patterns is forgiveness. It's the crux of the kingdom of heaven. It's the reason we have relationship with an eternal God is because you have been forgiven. Jesus has died for you. He forgave you of your sin. And just as it's impossible for God to produce evil, it's impossible for there to be unforgiveness in the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying is that you belong to a kingdom and serve a king who has forgiven you far more than you can ever forgive. So, so the, the model now is forgiveness. If you can't model this forgiveness to others, then God's kingdom is not inside of you. There's two central points to this parable. And the first one, we've kind of touched on it already. Number one is this, is that God forgave you. Jesus uses this Crazy illustration of 10,000 bags of gold to emphasize how much you have been forgiven. To emphasize how much you have been released from. Because we have sinned, we owe God a debt that cannot be paid. The actual debt of sin is eternal punishment. But Jesus paid that debt for you. And in exchange, he gave you his righteousness. And this is called in the Bible, we call this justification. It's the fancy word. It means just as if I'd... Never sinned. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. It's an easy way to remember it. It means that because Jesus died for your sins, when God looks at you, He doesn't see the mistakes of your past. Instead, He sees the perfection of His Son, Jesus. When God looks at you, He doesn't hold your sin against you and say, no, 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 you need to go fix yourself. Go get clean. Go wash yourself before coming to my presence. No, instead, when you're in Jesus, He looks at you and He says, you have the righteousness of my son on you. You said yes to Jesus. Yeah, I know you still make mistakes. I know you still fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus took, paid, paid the price on the cross so that you could come close. So come close, my son. Don't go away. I'm not sending you away. Come close. Let me, let me enter into a deeper relationship. And the more that you spend time with me, the more you are going to look and act like me. And the ways of the world will fall off of you. And the, and the voice of the enemy that, that tempts you and tries to lead you down that fast will, will also go away. Resist the devil and he will flee from you," is what the word of God says. How do we resist the devil? We get close to God. We get into his presence, and the devil doesn't want anything to do with people who are in God's presence all the time. when we abide in Jesus. Now, I can guess that some of you might be thinking, this is a hard thing to believe. That when Jesus, when God looks at me, he doesn't see the mistakes of my past. Some of you might still wrestle with the shame of your past. Some of you have secrets. And and they're causing you to feel like you're disqualified from God's forgiveness. And this is the message to you this morning. Do not think for a second that the power of your mistakes are greater than the sacrifice of Jesus. When we refuse to come close to God because of our mistakes, we are saying that my sin, that Jesus' blood covered everybody else's sin, but it wasn't strong enough to cover mine. Yeah, he forgave that person. He forgave David, King David, of adultery, of murder. David did some horrible things. He could forgive David, but what I've done is too great for the blood of Jesus. That's arrogance. That's pride. That keeps you from experiencing the grace and the love of God. You are good enough. Your sin has been paid for. You don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live with those secrets anymore. You can give those to God. And in our weakness, He is strong. Psalms 103, 11 through 12. It says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far. So far as he removed our transgressions from us. East to the west, it's, a, it's another hyperbole. For, he's gotten rid of it. He's erased it. He doesn't remember it anymore. God forgave you. That's the first principle in this parable. The second one is this. Is that forgiven people, forgive people. When you've been forgiven, you are called to forgive. Forgiven people, forgive people. Jesus said, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow servant?" In the same way that I had mercy on you. When you begin to understand how much you've been forgiven, then it's really hard to withhold forgiveness from others. People who know the grace that they've experienced, people who understand that the, the weight that's been removed from them, they, are, they forgive easy. Because they know, I'm not, even, I'm not worthy to be here experiencing the goodness of God, His grace, His favor on my life, so I can extend forgiveness to people when they hurt me. C.S. Lewis wrote this. Everyone says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. (laughs) People love the idea of forgiveness. But then they would say, but you don't know the things they've done to me, pastor. People outside of church, they love the idea. They they read the Good Samaritan. They read, they read, they, they love that part of the Bible. Forgiveness is a good thing. Until they have somebody to forgive. But unforgiveness hurts you the most. Did you know that even secular researchers are beginning to understand the negative effects of unforgiveness? There's doctors who are trying... This is, this is real. I looked this up. You can Google this. There's doctors who are trying to treat... Can, they're, 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 they're treating cancer and they're telling their patients to forgive anyone that they haven't forgiven. Studies have found that unforgiveness causes higher blood pressure, anxiety depression, and a shorter lifespan. There's physical consequences to unforgiveness. It actually hurts you physically. Not just your spirit, but it hurts you physically. So, if, if, if relational success with others is dependent on how well I receive and give forgiveness, then what does forgiveness really look like? What does forgiveness? What does it look like to truly forgive someone? So I can move from that onto the things that God has for me. I've got a couple things for you this morning. What does it mean to forgive? Number one is this: we need to let go of the past. Let go of the past. Now I don't say that flippantly. I know that when when people say just you need to move on, you need to forget about it. It's hard to forget betrayal. It's hard to forget abuse. It's hard to forget words that were spoken over us as children that have affected us into adulthood. It's hard. But we need to let go. According to Philippians three thirteen, it says this. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. In Christ Jesus. It's this idea that we, we shed that off of ourselves. We take it off. We let go of the things that hinder us. We let go of the past. We take off the baggage, the weight that has been keeping us back. We lay it at the feet of Jesus so that we can press forward. And we can move more into what God has for us. If you don't let go of the past, you'll never move forward into what God has for you. Forgiveness is giving up the hope of a different or better yesterday. How many of you wish you could change the past? You could go back, you could do something different. It's giving up the hope of a different or better yesterday. You cannot change the past. It won't ever be different, it won't ever change, but you can change your future. You have control over that. If you don't let go of your past, you will always be living in history, prisoned by your past experiences. It's giving up the hope of a different or better yesterday. Well, pastor, what if the person who hurt me, what if they never ask for forgiveness? What if they never come to me and they never ask for forgiveness? This, this is probably the, the deepest wounds, the deepest pains are often uh, by people who will never ask for forgiveness. They'll never come to you and say sorry and ask for your forgiveness. But I love theologian Reinhold Niebuhr, I can't even say his last name, <laughs> but he has this, how many of you have heard the serenity prayer before? It says this, I love this, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Some people might never ask you for forgiveness. You cannot change your past, but you can change your present, which will create a better future. And letting go of the past is a process. It's not saying, great, I'm over it. Some things cannot be forgotten. And forgiveness is not forgetfulness. Forgiveness is not allowing somebody in the past to keep you from walking in God's power. When you harbor unforgiveness, you actually give power to something that is not even there. You are actually holding yourself back from finding healing, and from moving forward. Let go of the past. The second thing is this. Let go of power and control. Here's a unique thing about unforgiveness is that it puts you in a place of power. When you haven't released bitterness, you have this perceived power. You think to yourself that I have power over the person who hurt me. And sometimes our anger is the only power that we have over someone. We see, them on, we see them on Instagram or Facebook, or we, we hear about them, and they, they're living a happy life. They're sleeping well throughout the night. They have no idea the wounds that they've done to you. And so we have this perceived power that, that my anger is the only power I have over them. So the thought of letting it go puts fear and insecurity into our hearts. That if I let go of this anger, that I don't have power over this situation anymore. But if you forgive you no longer have control and that's okay the sooner you realize that you are not in control anyway the better your life will be romans 12:19 says do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for god's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge i will repay says the lord we have this perceived power we want them to pay we want our anger to we want them to feel our anger But God says let go of that Because I will be the one to avenge I will repay You can trust that I will do the right thing That's why God is loving He's good but he's also just And if God wasn't just Then he wouldn't be a good God If God's a good God Then he's going to be just He's going to take care of what that person did They are going to have to answer for it And I would rather them answer to God Than answer to me because God's truly going to take care of it. Not in a way that He's going to squash them and squish them. But, but God loves them too. Do you understand this? I know it's hard to think. But God really loves that person? Does God really love that person? Yes, God loves that person. That person who hurt you is His child too. That person was made in God's image. They've wandered away from that image. But they were made in God's image. And God loves that person. He wants to give them an opportunity to reconcile, to repent, and to turn back to Him. But in order for them to do that, God has to be the avenger. He has to be the one to repay, not you. If you are the one to repay, that it'll probably push Him farther away from God, farther away from salvation, farther away from repentance. Let God be the avenger. Number three is this, let go of the right. We think to ourselves, I have every right to be bitter." I have every right to hold a grudge. I have every right to be angry. I have every right to execute justice and punishment the way I see fit. But forgiveness is letting go of that right. Forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. I have a right to hurt you. I have a right to get back at you. I have a right to feel the way that I do. Listen, if you've been forgiven for 10,000 bags of gold, You do not have that right You don't have the right to be angry Because you've been forgiven The reasons why we don't forgive others Is that number one they never ask for it And number two they don't deserve it But understand this forgiveness does not Absolve the offender of their responsibility Before God That when you forgive something When you forgive somebody it does not absolve them For answering for what they did Forgiveness releases you from the prison of bitterness that you've been living in. It doesn't release them. It releases you. You set yourself free when you forgive others. You come out of that cage of of bondage. You come out of that bitterness, out of that that right, that grudge, that that hard-heartedness. And when we hold unforgiveness, we develop this big callous shell. And we get this thick rhino skin. And we tell ourselves, nobody will ever get close to me ever again. I'm going to make sure to keep people at arm's distance. In the moment that they come close to touching the, the tender spots of my heart, knowing the depths of me, I'm going to push them away because I don't want to be hurt again. But you don't have to live like that. If you forgive, you actually can, can develop an empathy for people. You can, you can shed that hard skin and allow God to mold you and shape you and to take that heart. And God, you can trust that God's going to take care of your heart, church. That he sees the hurt. He sees the pain. And he's not just going to say, okay, get over it now. No. He's going to hold your heart and say, look, I, I, I've been there. Jesus was there. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like for everybody in the world to hate me. To be dying for their sins and they're spitting in my face. And they're calling me names. And they're putting me through something that I never deserved. Jesus has been there. He knows what it feels like and he's going to hold your heart with care he's going to love you through the pain but after he heals you and that when the holy spirit comes and he heals you he begins to shape your heart and mold it and say you know what i'm going to use the pain of your past i'm going to redeem it so that you can help other people who have experienced the same pain but we have to let go of unforgiveness I think some of us might need a lesson in apology And so I'm going to give us a little lesson in apology (laughs) Are you ready? This is called the art of apology Perhaps some of you have realized Maybe that you've been the one To cause hurt and pain in another's life Maybe you're a parent who has wounded your child Because of something that you said or did to them in the past And you don't know what to say to make things better Pushed them away You did something It was like I don't know how to get them back I wish I could I wish I could take that toothpaste And put it back in the tube But I can't It's not working Maybe you're a spouse And you did something That deeply wounded your spouse Whoever you are Whatever you've done I want to help teach you The art of apology And so number one The first thing that we need to do When we apologize this This is healthy apology This is what it's supposed to look like Number one We're supposed to acknowledge the hurt We're supposed to validate the hurt That you did something that wounded them Now you can come up with excuses In this moment and say well I'm sorry that this hurt you I'm sorry that this was your perceived idea Of how I hurt you But when you acknowledge the hurt That there was something that you said or did That caused pain That's where you have to start You acknowledge the hurt The second thing is you take responsibility For that pain Take responsibility for the hurt I did this to you Not, not. I'm sorry. This is how you feel, but I'm sorry that I wounded you. This was my fault. Number three is express remorse for hurting the person. There, there should be some compassion in your apology. Not, I'm going to tell you what you want to hear so we can move on, but I think that we're supposed to feel the hurt and supposed to feel the pain. That's what a peacemaker does. What a follower of Jesus does is they put themselves in the shoes of the person they hurt, and they express remorse. They feel the pain with that person. This is an important one. Number four is we need to promise restitution and change. It's 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 not always good enough just to say, "Hey, I'm sorry," but we have to say sometimes, "I won't do that again. I will be more conscious in the future about what I say or what I do." Or hey. If you've hurt your child or if you've hurt your spouse, it's good to look them in the eyes and say, I will not do that again. Or I will try to, to be more vigilant. And I will, sometimes, sometimes we don't want to make promises that we can't keep, but, but it's good to express uh, that, that, that you're going to make a change in your life. That there's something that's going to be different. That you're not going to continue going on in this relationship the way it's been going. You're going to make a change in your life. You're going to do something different. And the fifth thing is this. This is really important for parents, is to offer touch. Offer touch when, it, when it's appropriate. Offer touch when it's appropriate. But when, for parents, for, you know, we've got young kids, and I, I've, I've just found how important it is that when I apologize to my kids, and I, when I get angry at them, and I, I just want to, I said some things that really hurt their feelings, and my, my kids are so sensitive, they've got such tender hearts, and sometimes I realize, man, I really just wounded them i have to come and i've got to apologize and i have to i have to take responsibility for it i have to express i know i'm so sorry i made you feel this way and and your heart is hurting right now i won't say that again i won't do that again and the important thing is to say can i give you a hug can can we can we come back together And, and i embrace my children when you're giving when you're giving an apology These are bad examples. I'm sorry that you were offended. I'm sorry that you feel that way. I'm sorry you were hurt. I'm sorry if I hurt you. But instead, we should say, this is a good example. You know, that was a really mean thing to say. I was way out of line when I said that. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'll work hard to say good things. Can I give you a hug? Can we, when this is appropriate... But we, we try to make amends that way. And when we're receiving forgiveness, this is equally important. <clears throat> Oftentimes when, when somebody says, hey, I'm sorry, <clears throat> we say, oh, don't worry about it. It was no big deal. You know, have you ever done that before? <clears throat> hey, I'm really sorry I said that to you. Oh, don't worry about it. No, I, honestly, I didn't, even, I didn't even catch it. It didn't even, it didn't even bother me. We act like it just, oh, it was no big deal. Instead, when somebody apologized to you, you don't say, don't worry about it, no big deal. You say that. That did hurt me. Thank you for apologizing. I accept your apology. And I forgive you. That's important. When somebody comes and asks for forgiveness, you, it's good to say, I accept your apology. Thank you for acknowledging that. I forgive you. If we want to be a church, if we want to have successful relationships, we have to get good at this church. We have to get good because how many you know I'm going to say something to you that's really going to hurt your feelings? I'm sorry. But that, I'm human. I should I shouldn't say that anymore. I said that last week. We can't say we're human because humans were made in the image of God. So when you're when you're human, you're actually made in the image of God. I can't. I gotta stop saying that. But you know what? I'm going to mess up. I'm gonna hurt your feelings. I, I need to get good at this. We need to get good at this if we want successful relationships. Imagine a body of Christ that was really good at this. Imagine the the, the healing. That would take place and the relationships that would be strengthened if we extended the kind of forgiveness that god extended to us we live in a polarized culture and and people get on facebook and they say things to each other all the time that just divide people and keep people apart i believe that when people look at the church and when they see the people of god loving this this diverse group of people that believe all different kinds of things, that have all different kinds of backgrounds, when they see them loving and embracing and forgiving one another despite their differences, that's when the world is going to come to see Jesus. And go, this group of people have something that I can't even fathom. Little do they know that there's 10,000 bags of gold behind us that have been released. Right? And that's, our, that's where we live out of. That I was, this debt was paid. I don't have to pay that anymore So now I'm going to live this out I'm going to live this reality We're going to take communion together Mary can I have you come up and play piano while we do this You know this uh, I love uh, I love you know, Typically we take communion on the fourth Sunday of every month And so we were going to take it today anyway But man the whole Foundation of communion Is that I've been forgiven And I'm thankful That I have been forgiven that I can have a relationship with God Because of the body and the blood That was broken and shed for me So this morning we're going to give thanks And we're going to remember what he did for us You know Before Jesus was arrested He shared a meal with his disciples And he took the bread And he broke it and he said this bread represents my body That's about to be broken for you And Isaiah 53 it says that we, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquities. That, that the punishment of our sin was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. His body was crushed so that your body could be set free. And so this morning, as we take the body, I, I want you just to just reflect for a moment on all that you have been released from. All that Jesus did for you. Come on, we all have things in our past. Now, I don't want you to dwell on your sin. This isn't a shaming moment. This is a moment of thankfulness, a moment of gratitude. Thank you, Jesus, that I am free. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, and you gave me sight. I was dead, but you brought me back to life. Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. And we ask, Lord, that... This not only would just be a tradition or something that we do this morning, but God, we would, we would ingest this. We would live this forgiveness out with 10,000 bags of gold at our back. Father, we press forward into relationships with people the way that you designed it, full of forgiveness, full of grace. We thank you for your body that was broken. In Jesus' name, let's take the body together. Take the cup. Jesus shared a cup of wine with his disciples, and he said, this is my blood that was poured out for you. It's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And you know what? I'm so thankful because, man, I've tried. I try and try to earn God's grace. When I'm feeling low, when I'm feeling down, I try. You know what? I'm just going to pray my Bible. I'm going I'm to pray a little bit more. I'm going to read my Bible a little bit more. I'm going I'm to join that church event. I'm going to do that church thing. We try to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. And I've talked to people who said, I think I'm going to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. I've done a lot of good things in my life. But the Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short. That we all deserve death. We all deserved eternal punishment but because of Jesus we don't have to pay that anymore he paid the debt and he let us go and I'm so thankful that I don't have to try to earn God's love I don't have to try to earn his favor that I'm loved because simply I'm his son you're his daughter you're his son he's set you free he sees you in the light of Jesus in the image of Jesus and I'm so thankful for that Let's take the cup together. Stand with me, everybody. We're going to do one last thing before we close. I want to invite you. Maybe you've come, and maybe you've come here today, and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you don't know what it's like to have the weight lifted off your back, to have 10,000 bags of gold behind you. And I believe that Jesus wants you to have that experience today. And so if you're in this place and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never asked him to be the Lord of your life, and you've you've never asked him for forgiveness of your sin, would everybody just bow their heads, close their eyes? If that's you in this room, raise your hand so I can see it. I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. Is there anybody here? Any hands in the room? Praise Jesus. Father, I love you and I thank you for your forgiveness, and we thank you, God, that we've been set free. Help us to live that out, and I pray that today you would give us the courage to send that text message, to make that phone call if we need to make that phone call, and to call that person and say, I forgive you. I know that you haven't asked for forgiveness, but you hurt me. And I want you to know that I forgive you. And I want to have a relationship with you. And might look different. We might have to set up boundaries. But I want to be free from this unforgiveness. God, give us the courage to do that today. And not wait any longer. We can be free today. Thank you, Jesus, for that. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. And the church said, amen. amen.